Well, good morning to all of you, and uh, my name is Tom Nelson. I'm just delighted to uh, be here with you, and thank you, Pastor Nathan, for opening God's Word to us and reading it, and it's an amazing text, isn't it? Uh, I have the joy of serving on the teaching team with Christ's community, and uh, I don't always have the privilege of being with you, and uh, it is just really a, a great delight. Go Aletha, right? It's wonderful. Well, this morning you may be here, and you hear uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You know, there's a, a list of a lot of pretty impressive people. And uh, the tendency for us is to sort of put them on a pedestal, like they're, you know, the, the heavy hitters of faith. And I think the tendency also is to sort of put us, we're down here. But I want us, wherever you are in your spiritual journey today, to see that these people that are highlighted in this text not only had great faith, but they were great failures. If we were to look through the whole list of these people, you would find, interestingly enough, that they are recipients of the grace of God just like us. You have in that list uh, not only the who's who, the big heavy hitters, the who's that, the names that only show up in a Bible trivia quiz like Jephthah. I mean, and all of them, all of them were recipients of God's grace. They were people of great faith and great failures. And so if you're here today and you've been a Christian a long time, you've been a Christ follower for a long time, Hebrews 11 is a really an amazing text for us to dwell in. I think God has something for each one of us. And if you are here today and you're checking out the Christian faith, you're not really sure about the Christian faith, I can't think of a better text uh, for us to unpack this morning because faith is at the heart of the Christian story. So I am delighted you are here today. I'm delighted that I have the privilege, and it is a privilege, to open God's Word in such a remarkable text. And uh, before I do that, I'd like to pray uh, and ask God for, to speak to all of us, wherever we are this morning in our journey of faith. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for each one gathered here, young and old, people who have followed you for a long time that face new challenges, people who are checking the Christian faith out, who are wondering, is this really real? Does this really transform us? Should I trust Jesus? So Lord, wherever we are, I pray that your welcoming grace would surround us and that you would encourage each one of us. So, Holy Spirit, speak to us. You know the struggles, the challenges, the doubts, the hurts we all face this week. So I pray, Lord, that you would feed each hungry soul and touch each precious heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, faith is a word we often use in our culture, don't we? It's just about everywhere. Um, we all wrestle with it, what it is. It's uh, a word that's often used, but it is understood differently by different people. I've been struck recently by March Madness, or should I just say for K-State fans, Wichita State fans, and KU fans, it really ought to be called March Sadness, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why we call it March Madness, except for one team. It's March Sadness, right? Eventually, and lately... The home teams have been sadness. But one of the things that stood out to me is the threads of faith throughout the tournament. And I'm one of those tournament junkies, you know, and I don't know how your brackets did. But one of the things that stuck out to me this year particularly is the threads of faith that I heard. I mean, even on the players' arms, you know, there's a lot of tats. And uh, a lot of the tats have a Bible verse or God or thanking something about faith. Have you noticed? I've been stunned by that. And coaches who gather their teams in the locker room, particularly at halftime when things aren't going so well, tell the teams, keep the faith. You know you're going to win. Have faith. You hear this language. Or some basketball player 
who actually is part of the winning team, gets a micro- microphone stuck in his face and says, I thank God for the victory, right? I mean, faith is everywhere in sports, but it's also this language, and we use it so differently, actually kind of weirdly. We use it, religious and religious people use it in national tragedies. Have you noticed on the national news or on the internet, the language of they are in our prayers. Have you heard that? I mean, like the mudslide in Washington, the Malaysian flight, the shooting in Pittsburgh. You hear all kinds of people of all kinds of stripes saying, our prayers are with them, both religious and irreligious people. It seems to me as if faith is hardwired in us, but it's also true that faith is difficult. We struggle with it. It's a mystery. How do we understand it? In my own experience, faith, although used often, is very perplexing and difficult to grasp. And so this text this morning helps us unpack what it is. And sometimes we all wrestle with faith, don't we? Again, I I find this one of the hardest things in my life. In my own experience, and perhaps yours, sometimes I have foxhole faith. You know what foxhole faith is? They always say there's no atheist in a foxhole. When, you know, when bullets are shooting at you, you cry out to God. But you don't have to be uh, in the military or in a war zone to have foxhole faith. Uh, Parents, we all have this, right? When our children are heading toward the street, my neighbor's little child came to the near our street yesterday. And I saw her mom scream out, Charlotte! And it's that moment when moms have foxhole faith. Foxhole faith is, oh God, help me now faith. And we all have it. Students, you know what that's like? I've been a student a lot of times. You walk into class. You don't know the professor or teacher is going to give you a quiz. You haven't studied it, and it's a quiz, and you go, oh God, help me. That's foxhole faith. Pastors have foxhole faith. I, uh, this past weekend, I flew in from Dallas, Texas, and it was late, and I'm thinking the flight was two hours late, like, I've made it, right? Wasn't thinking about it, I got on the blue satellite parking bus. Did you know you can lose your life on that thing? <laughs> I never even thought about it. And true story, I'm not going to give you all the details, or we'd be here for too long, and Nathan would get on my case if I speak too long, um, as he should. <clears throat> but uh, I get in the satellite parking bus. 11.15, it's packed. All these people, and I want to just get to my car and get home. I'm exhausted from speaking all weekend. And as the driver pulls out of the uh, terminal, the driver falls asleep. And the bus is heading toward a pole. Now, I was right in the front. That's foxhole faith. Pastors have it. God help us. Sometimes (laughs) we have blind leap faith, don't we? Our faith is like a blind leap. Blindly, faith is not just, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, I hope you're there for me. When I was a kid, I remember my first experience climbing up to the high dive in my city pool, getting on the high diving board. You ever been there? And I'm, like, walking out there going, oh, my, it's so far down there. And I stand on the end, and I freeze. And I don't know, still know how I got off unless someone pushed me. But there was a moment of blindly faith when I jumped finally off the board. I took that big step. Most of us, maybe that's not blind leap faith, but all of us are frozen in fear in something in life. Maybe an issue you're facing today as you come, a surface health issue, a report by the doctor. Maybe it's an important job interview that you're just having the sweaty pits thinking about it this week. Or maybe it's an abrupt change in your financial security. Or some of us may be facing deep questions about life and faith. 
And we're wrestling with, do I just have to take a blind leap of faith? Do I just have to sort of jump into faith, arms, and trust? We all wrestle with faith, foxhole faith, blind leap faith. And one of my favorites that I just absolutely have a tizzy over is wishful thinking faith. But I've done it. You know, there's all these television preachers just saying, hey, if you just believe it, you got it. You ever heard them? Your best life now with a smile. It says if you just believe enough, you can have that better home, that good job, that beautiful spouse. All of us struggle with faith. And we have all kinds of weird ideas about faith. Faith is a mystery. Whether it's foxhole faith, blind faith, or wishful thinking faith, I want to just say all of us struggle with faith. And what's important for us to grasp this morning is that from cover to cover, the Bible speaks of faith. It is at the heart of the Christian story. That faith is essential for us to live the life we are designed to live. And isn't it amazing in Hebrews eleven six 6 that Nathan read, there's one of the most stunning statements in all the New Testament. And that is, without faith, it's impossible. Not just okay, it's impossible to please God. So we know that faith is important and we know it's deeply difficult. So the writer of Hebrews in the first century wrestles with faith. And what does he do as he dresses it? He raises two questions. What is faith and how does it work? And that's where I want us to go this morning. First, what is faith? You'll notice in Hebrews 11 that this is a continuation of chapter 10. In chapter 10, the writer has been building all, if you've been following our series, has been building to this new and living way. This new gospel faith in Christ because of Christ's atoning death and his resurrection. There is a new way, and this new way is accessible in Jesus through faith. So the writer at the end of chapter 10, and there's no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts, continues this idea of not shrinking back, but drawing near in faith. So he defines faith in chapter 11, and he describes it. So what is faith? Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Now notice the definitional or descriptive aspect of this. He doesn't want us to miss this foundational building block. And he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now, I want you to notice in verse 1, these two phrases that are connected. Faith, he says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, what he is doing is he's laying the foundation that biblical faith, since its inception, is an unwavering and hopeful confidence in God himself. And it has, by its very essence, a forward-looking mindset which shapes our understanding of all of reality and informs all of life. Now, I know that's a mouthful. So what is it saying? What the author is saying is that faith is like spiritual IQ. In other words, we all have an IQ. It's our cognitive ability. You talk about your IQ level, right? We have an EQ, our emotional quotient. But what we might understand here is the foundation of this discussion on faith is not IQ, not EQ, but SQ, a spiritual quotient, a kind of spiritual insight and intelligence. And this is where he founds it. The writer, notice, does not say that Christian faith or gospel faith is last resort faith, not the foxhole faith. It's not the blind leap faith of rationality, nor is it some wishful thinking faith of, I believe it, it's going to happen. No, faith is spiritual intelligence or insight. Now, theologian R.C. Sproul really captures this well in a book called What is Faith? 
And this is a little longer than I often use, but I think it's really rich. So I'm going to walk through it carefully with you. He says, at its root, what is, this is what faith is. Notice, it is not believing in God. He's having a word play here a little bit, kind of be provocative. It is believing God. The Christian life is about believing God. In other words, it's not just the object of our faith. It is an intelligent understanding of God Himself. It is about living by every word that proceeds from His mouth. It is about following Him into places where we've never been, into situations we've never experienced, into countries that we have never seen, because we know who He is. Now, R.C. Sproul is brilliant in his understanding, because he is understanding what the writer of Hebrews is saying in giving us a foundation of faith. And that is, notice, at the end of verse 1, faith has been consistently the hallmark of God's people. It is knowing God in an intimate way through thick and thin. That has always been the currency of loving God and knowing Him. It is spiritual intelligence. It is a gift of God. It is a new kind of life that Jesus makes possible for us to live. It is something we experience every day and everywhere. And the question is, what does faith do? If faith is this level of spiritual IQ, or SQ, then what does faith do? And this is the primary focus of Hebrews chapter 11. Not only what faith is, it is a new and living way. It is a way of knowing and understanding the world. It is a way of intimacy with God. It is not just a blind leap. It's not just a cry of a last resort. It is knowing God. But how does faith work? And this is where he focuses more of his attention. And there are two ideas that jump through this whole book and really are highlighted in a beautiful crescendo of expression in Hebrews 11. And these two ideas are at the heart of verses 3 through 40. And that is, this faith, this spiritual intelligence, this spiritual insight enables us to see differently and it enables us to live differently. Enables us to see differently and enables us to live differently. Now, I remember when I was in physics class, if you're any physics teachers here, it was a lot I forgot. You know, I'm just not exactly a math guy or a physics guy. But one thing I was really locked in on the lecture was the electromagnetic mag magnetic spectrum. Remember that? It's amazing to me when I understood for the first time, I'll never forget this, that there was so much energy that I couldn't see. In other words, when you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, you have a wide range of frequencies and wavelengths that the human eye cannot detect. Right? There are X-rays, gamma rays, infrared rays. There's a whole vast band of energy that is there and real, but we can't detect it with the human eye. In other words, the human eye can detect only a small slice of the wide spectrum of energy. That is a picture, I think, of what the writer is saying. There's much more going around us than what our eyes can physically detect. We know this, don't we? When we sit at Starbucks. I mean, I love Starbucks for the coffee. I can see the coffee, but there's just a whole lot going on in Starbucks that I don't see with my eye. And when I log on my computer or my smartphone, it locks on to the world that I can't see. Because in that air, what my eye doesn't pick up is a glorious reality that connects me to the world through Wi-Fi. Here in verse 3, in the first century, 
the writer of Hebrews gives us this foundational truth that there is much more going on than the eye can see. What he does is he anchors faith in the big story of Christ. He anchors it first in original creation. Notice that, and he'll end the book of Hebrews with the new creation. So the whole story from original creation to new creation is framed in this chapter, that faith sits in the story of creation, the corruption of creation, the redemption and new creation of the new heavens and earth. I want you to see the flow, the literary structure. So first what he says, he says that we can understand through faith that what we cannot see was made by who we cannot see. Notice what the text says. That knowing with confidence that a creator God has made all things, both seen and unseen, faith allows us to truly see and to truly understand. Don't miss this. See, we often think of this, don't we? I'm like this. If I were to just survey all of us, I think when I said faith, you go, oh, yeah, you know? Faith is what you do, you know, when you can't see anything. When you can't figure something out, when you can't know it, then you just cling to faith. We often think faith is something we just cling to when we can't see. And the writer of Hebrews turns our world upside down and inside out. Because faith, and hear me carefully, faith is what allows us to truly see what we could never see otherwise. See, faith is not something that I cling to when I can't see. Faith is what allows me to see what I couldn't see without it. And this is the foundation of this text. My wife Liz and I have been married 30 years, almost 31. In fact, I've got to remember our anniversary. It's coming up. Don't forget that, guys. That's, that's a good thing, I know, for 31 years. But one of the things we love to do for dates, uh, Liz and I, is to go to movies. And there are certain movies we want to go to the 3D. You like that, right? The 3D movies? And I'll never forget the first time I watched a 3D movie, and you go in, you put on those 3D glasses. I think it was Avatar, one of my favorite movies. But Avatar was like, wow, there was a whole new world I never saw. And this is the picture of 3D. It opens our eyes to see the world as it really is. To understand the world as God understands it. It is like putting 3D glasses on. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford scholar and Christian writer, said it better than anyone I know when he said this. I believe in Christianity like I believe the sun is risen. Not only because I see it, but by seeing it, I see everything else. Helen Keller, the brilliant mind and heart who was born blind and deaf, said this well when a reporter asked her about the tragedy of not having eyesight. She said, the greatest tragedy is not those who are born blind, but those who have eyesight and lack vision. And this is what the Hebrew writer is saying. He opens our eyes to see the world as God sees it. See, faith changes how we see our lives in the world. And faith allows us to see what we can never see without it. That's why the writer says faith makes all the difference in the world. It radically changes what we see and how we see it. We are blind without it. But not only does faith allow us to see, notice where the text goes. Faith enables us and empowers us to live radically different. 
you'll notice in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is often, if you've been in church or read the Bible some or apart, but Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the Hebrews Hall of Faith or like the Hall of Fame. And when you visit a Hall of Fame, I hope you've visited the College Basketball Hall of Fame in Kansas City. Maybe you've done the baseball one in Cooperstown, but one of my favorites is the Rock and Roll. There is a Rock and Roll, you know, Hall of Fame in Cleveland where my daughter lives. So when you go to a Hall of Fame of any kind, you see all the heroes, the, great, the greatest gifted people in the past that have done all these great things. But what is different about Hebrews 11 is you not only have, you have 16 people listed explicitly. 16 of them. And again, some are the who's who, like Abraham and Moses. I mean, they're the heavy hitters. But some are the who's that, and there's a whole list of people that are unlisted by name. So what is unique about the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 is that there are many, many people listed who are just like you and me, messed up average people whose lives are transformed when they receive the gift of faith and begin to see. And this gives me hope that average people like you and me, broken, messed up in sin, can experience the life Jesus has for us that transforms how we see the world and how we live in it. And I want you to notice in this text, and I encourage you to read these stories. If you've not read much of the Old Testament, read the backstory. They're filled with highs and lows, just like your life and mine. But as we look at this next section, I want us to think of three kind of commonalities that faith brings. When you look at these 16 individuals and the unnamed individuals from 3 all the way to verse 40, you will notice something, that there are three commonalities true to all faith experience. And this is what I'd like to touch on. You'll notice first that in these lives, each one of them had to take some scary steps, and you and I do too. That faith takes us out of our comfort zone by its very nature. I love how Noah's listed first, or one of the early ones in verse 7, huh? How many have seen the movie Noah? Uh, you can raise your hands. How many have seen Noah so far with Russell Crowe? Not many. Okay, it's kind of a different movie. <laughs> and uh, I saw it right away because everyone was asking me, what, what's this about? But one of the things, it's, it's, it's a lot of creative license. No doubt about that. <laughs> Russell Crowe is a pretty good Noah most of the time, actually. But one of the things that stood out to me, the good part about it, was what it took for Noah to do the impossible. Can you imagine building this ark, getting scorn and ridicule? I mean, talk about, no one's ever seen this before. Who's doing this? I mean, can you imagine the scary steps it took for Noah? Faith takes us out of the comfort zone. Abraham, verse 8, Nathan read that text. Abraham leaves this cushy, highest culture life. Think of New York City in Ur of Chaldeas in Mesopotamia in 2000 BC. He had a cushy life, high culture, and he goes to the sticks. Lives as a Bedouin in Hicksville. He leaves everything. Wealth, culture, to go to this scruffy place called Palestine that he doesn't even know. He leaves it all behind. He leaves all his comfort. We often forget what it was like for him to do that. Become a Bedouin in tents. Rahab. Look at Rahab in verse 30. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. In Jericho. And it is amazing to me that she risks her life 
to help the spies who are going into the land. She risked her life. She changed her loyalty. She changed her life. She identifies with the God of Israel. You talk about risk. She steps out of her whole life, her whole loyalty, her whole faith, her whole life, 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 livelihood, everything. And Rahab is highlighted. David in verse 32, notice David. David did a lot of bonehead things and good things. One of the most amazing things is a young boy, and if you're a student here and you're a teenager, I mean, David was amazing as a teenager. Not only his love for God, but his courage. I mean, he took on Goliath, for goodness sakes. All these other guys are cowering in fear, all the warriors, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He should taunt the armies of the living God. Come on. And he takes this little bag of five smooth stones and a sling, and Cole Cox knocks Goliath silly and then cuts his head off. Now that's courage. Faith moves us out of the comfort zone by its very nature. On Sunday, April 27th, as we were sharing, we have a wonderful opportunity as a broader church family to gather for a destination celebration. We're going to celebrate 25 years of God's faithfulness to Christ's community. And I am really excited about that. But I want you to know that from Christ community's inception, there have been a lot of big, scary steps of faith. And there are going to be a lot more for all of us ahead of us. I remember as if it was yesterday. You know, at my age, I forget a lot of things, but I remember this. <laughs> I remember getting in a 24-foot rider truck, leaving Dallas, Texas, after I finished my seminary degree with our six-month-old son, Schaefer. First of all, I took out half the yard with the truck, which is a whole other story. Arriving in Lenexa, Kansas, 2916, a little condominium with the three of us, unloaded, got in the apartment, didn't have an idea of any people, money, or idea about what it meant to plant a church. And I remember two days after that, getting on my knees, crying like a baby, wondering, what on blankety-blank have I done? Because faith often leads you to be scared spitless. It takes us out of our comfort zone. In Christ's community story, past, present, and much to be in the future, the greatest days are ahead of us. It's going to require scary steps for all of us in our own personal life, in our spiritual growth, and as a congregation. Trusting God when we're scared spitless. This is what the Hall of Faith crew are about. So what scary steps is God asking you to take? You may be here this morning and you're not yet a Christ follower. And again, I just want to welcome you. This is an important place for you. In fact, following Jesus and doing this church thing, if I hadn't done it for a long time, it'd be a scary thing for me too. But are you willing today, honestly, to just take one more step of faith toward Christ? Because what's amazing though, I was that God responds to the smallest sliver of faith in our lives. Isn't that amazing? It's not that you have to have a lot of big faith, just move one step toward him. Anyone Bill Murray fans? Bill Murray is one of my favorite actors. What About Bob is one of my all-time favorite movies. Anybody about Bob fans? You know the story of he's rather messed up like all of us. That's why I love him. He has a psychiatrist, psychiatrist Richard Dreyfus tries to tell him, just take one step, right? Baby step and baby step. That's how God works. 
All he's asking you in your life, whether you are younger or older, whether you've been a Christian a long time or you're new, is just take one more step. And that may be today to trust Christ as your Savior. It may be to attend church regularly to hear if this is true. Does this make sense? It may be reading the Gospel of John. Just one step. Faith always takes us out of our comfort zone. It always makes us uncomfortable. Maybe you're here today and you've been in church all your life and you would say, I'm a Christ follower. But maybe the step this week, the scary step for you is to share Christ with that friend at school, that colleague at work, or that neighbor across the way, or the person you're carpooling your children with. Maybe you've had that sense that God wants me to say something to this person about faith. And you're wrestling with, will you take the step this week? Maybe it's to start a business, to make a job change, to pursue marriage, or to have children. These are all scary steps. Faith is like a muscle that grows with exercise. It starts baby stepping, baby stepping. And the more you have faith, the more you understand that, friends, the bolder they come, become. Not easier, but bolder. All through this amazing Hall of Faith crew, there are scary steps, scary steps, scary steps. Faith takes us there. But secondly, notice there are painful hardships. All over Hebrews 11 are painful hardships. Faith brings that. Moses, in verses 23 through 29, his life was on display. Can you imagine his parents giving up his mom, putting him in the bulrushes? If you've been to the Nile, you know there are crocodiles and alligators everywhere. Putting Moses to save his life from infanticide and putting his precious, her precious son in the bulrushes and entrusting God, Moses to God, to Pharaoh's court. What faith Moses' parents had. What pain they went through. Moses could have been Pharaoh's son forever and lived a cushy life. The text says that. And notice, he gave up all that he had, and he was badly mistreated. And we read of Moses. Hey, Moses, you know, Moses, Charlton Heston type guy, right? Moses, leading his people out of slavery, was glorious. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, he was like adrenaline rush. That is until he gets to the Red Sea. Have you ever led a group of people and you get to the Red Sea, whether it's your work or your home, and you go, oops. And the Egyptians are in hot pursuit. Red Sea is in front. Do you want to lead at that moment? It's the scariest moment in your life. When you can't go back, you can't go forward, you don't know where to turn, all you can do is look up and say, God, help us. Part the sea. And it was a glorious moment of God's victory, wasn't it? But I want to suggest to you, it's not in the text, okay? Maybe it's my imagination, but I think the Red Sea moment not only gave Moses faith, it took five years off his life. It was a gray hair moment. Faith leads us to painful hardships out of obedience. Liz and I were at a, a wonderful conference in Jacksonville, Florida just two weeks ago. And uh, it's one of our ministry partners, one of our most exciting ministry partners called Elam, and it serves one of the most brutal countries in the world, and that's Iran, for Christians. And we're a part as a broader congregation supporting our brothers and sisters 
in the church in Iran. And at this meeting, I can't tell you what it was like fully for security reasons, but at this meeting there was a young lady, I think we have her picture, Ladan. And Ladan shared she had just come out of 25 days of solitary confinement because she loves Jesus and wants to serve him. Her faith has led her to suffer hardship, and there is extraordinary joy. And she shared about her journey, and she came back, and she stood next to the table by me, and we worshiped the Lord together, and I felt like a midget next to this beautiful woman as we praised God together. Faith leads us to hardship and pain. If you want a cushy, easy life, faith's not it. It's glorious, but it's gruesomely hard, and it's painful. The very fact that she loves Jesus has brought great pain and hardship. Can you imagine 25 days of solitary confinement? She shared how Jesus met her. He appeared to her and cared for her. So what painful hardships is faith bringing into your life? The text of Scripture says, all who desire to live godly lives, godly is not self-righteous, is Christ-like lives. All who desire to honor God will be, not maybe, will be persecuted. Simply, not because they're jerks. We don't want to be jerks, right? Because of what we believe in, who we love, and what we value. What hardships are you facing for your Christian faith? Students, perhaps you're facing a cold shoulder. I remember that when I was in school, especially high school, from friends who ridiculed me because of what I believed and where I drew the line in sexual purity and other issues in my life. And often on Friday night, I was alone rather than with the crowd simply because I love Jesus and want to honor him. That's hard, isn't it? Maybe you're feeling the painful tension your faith has created in your marriage, your family. Often people come to faith, one member of the family does, another doesn't, and it creates this difficulty at Christmas, Easter, the tensions you feel, right? Faith doesn't always make your life easier. It often complicates things in a family. I know that from my own experience. Perhaps your faith is in collision with your values at work, your boss. Perhaps your faith has caused you to be overlooked for a promotion or terminated at work. See, faith is not only taking scary steps. It is in all of our life. It's not only enduring painful hardships, but notice the last theme, and that is it endures long waits. Faith and waiting. I hate to tell you this. <laughs> I want to tell you something different today. But faith and waiting are like hand and glove. It, they are. If there's one thing in, in life I hate more than anything else is to wait. Pastor Tom gets carnal waiting at a red light. You know, I want to honk. Come on, let's go. I'm sorry. I hope you listen to the rest of the I just struggle with red lights. I hate red lights. I know they're necessary, but I hate them. It's true on my computer. I have an old computer. And also, you know, I'm pulling up a website. It's really slow. You like that? Drives me nuts. Nanosecond nuts, I call it. It's like, ah! <laughs> you can relate, can't you? Some people here hate to wait. I hate to wait. At the microwave for my coffee, I want to hurry up. It's the same thing. But waiting and faith go hand in glove. When you read these stories, I encourage you to read them. You'll notice the theme. Wait, wait, wait. Come on, wait. More waiting. Right? That's, that's what they are. Sarah, can you imagine 90 years of infertility? We encountered six years in my marriage, and it was the longest six years of my wife's life. And some of you know what that might be like. Can you imagine 90 years waiting for God's promise for that little laughter, Yitzhak, Isaac? 
Joseph waited for many years, abused by his family. We don't know exactly how long, but it was a bunch of years while he waited as a slave and to be reunited with his family. We can go on and on and on. Perhaps you're in God's holding room this morning. Perhaps you're in a waiting pattern. Faith takes us there, inevitably. Maybe it's an emotional healing that you long for. It's discouragement, a depression, a relationship that's broken, physical healing that you're praying for. Maybe you have this deep heart desire, a dream that your heart is longing for. You know what that's like when you dream and dream and hold on to a dream, and the older you get, the more you realize that dream will never happen, maybe. Maybe you're longing for a marriage that's more intimate, a family that is not as crazy dysfunctional. <laughs> and you wait and wait, and your prayers just bounce off the ceiling, it seems. And what we discover in Hebrews 11 and the stories I'd love for you to probe this week in your own study is those who live well, wait well. Those who live well, wait well. When they look through the eyes of faith. Faith, though powerful in the present, the text says, inevitably has a forward look, a confidence that God will ultimately make good in His promises. Notice verse 13. It is the fulcrum, the pivot point of the whole chapter from a literary standpoint. And notice what it says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. In verse 16, we read, they look to the future to a city. Notice that God had prepared them. He starts in the garden with creation, and he goes to a city. Do you see that? That's the whole story of the Bible, from a garden to a city. Faith is the connecting thread all the way through of God's story. It's the currency of the story. Hebrew writer begins his chapter anchoring us in the faith in creation, in the first part of the story, and he ends in the new creation and a new city. And when you read this, the new city, Abraham was looking for it. All of them are looking for it. We are looking for it. Bless you. That day future when Jesus will return and every tear will be wiped from every eye and will experience the life we long to live in the new city, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. The writer of Hebrews wants us to build to this crescendo. He wants us to take away in this text that the eyes of faith always have a forward focus. And in verses 39 through 40, it says, they waited for us and we are still waiting for Christ, not first coming, but his second coming. And we wait with all of them. We wait with anticipation. God had something bigger, something better for them, for us. And that something better is Jesus and the good news of the gospel. That Jesus came, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for you and me. He rose glorious from the dead. He will one day return to set things right and enter, usher in the new heavens and new earth. Faith is the common thread. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Paul says, for by grace are we saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Faith makes all the difference. That's what the Hebrew writer says. It allows us to know God personally. It allows us to see the world differently. It allows us to live differently. And let me tell you, it allows us to hope differently. This past week, the Christ community family had a great loss. I got a call early in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. You know that's a problem. I was summoned to St. Luke's Hospital on the plaza. A member of our congregation was just finishing his final breath. Two of his young girls were around the bed and his grieving wife. I hugged him, held on to him, prayed with him. And in the midst of the tears, 
there was nothing but joy. Because faith makes all the difference in how we see the world and how we live in it and how we look forward to a glorious future. In the memorial service for Rick, you could just hear in the air the words of great as thy faithfulness. The grand hymn, pardon for sin, and a peace that endureth thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 besides. Friends, faith makes all the difference in your life and in mine, both in life and in death. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you, were, you created us to live by faith, you redeemed us to live by faith. We live and breathe by faith. So open our eyes and hearts to the truth of your word. Great is your faithfulness. Give us strength for today and give us bright hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name.